the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, folks. <laughs> Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We uh, roll into part two of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, uh, we have our roundtable regulars. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. Great show. And joining us for today's edition of Armchair Politics, we have uh, former high-ranking official in two presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Mark, welcome back. Thank you, sir. It's it, You know, it's always fun to have Mark uh, on the show because even though we talk about some things uh, from from Flint and, uh, and, and from Michigan, um, he has uh, an understanding of how things work to where he can draw on experiences from other places and, and always fits in. I don't feel like we're leaving him out all the time. You know, I, I, I've got a, a question or maybe a comment from Mark. You know, I, uh, one of my hobbies, I collect political buttons and political items. And a few months ago, I went to our annual meeting of the political items collectors here in Michigan. And I was looking for a Mark Eberson for president button and was so far <laughs> unable to find one. So I, I, I still got to go. One of these days I'm going to find a Mark Eberson for president campaign button for my collection. <laughs> I don't know if you'll find a button, but there were some bumper stickers, though. We can make, okay, uh, I, I will, I will look out, for those. They, they, were out, they were out there. But anyway, so let me go back to this point, though, that we were on, um, yeah. if I can. Please. You know, one thing to do is to sort of say, yes. Uh, uh, I've made my mistakes. And then the other approach is the Trump approach, or the Marion Barry. Marion Barry, you remember, oh, did time for uh, right. cocaine. He did prison time, and he was defiant about it. And um, if you've got a base, 
sometimes a, a, a fall, if you will, helps energize the base because they figure, oh, some guy, your guy got screwed, if you will. I I'm not sure that's the case in this instance, but it's just people make a choice, and then they uh, it either works for them or it doesn't when they've got something that they've got to overcome. People rally in their defense, and uh, and of course now now we have the convenient uh, fake news, alternative facts to you know help shield responsibility. But um, this is an interesting one, and not unrelated, really, if you think about it a little bit. A Michigan Republican Party leader who faced grassroots pushback after saying the 2020 presidential election wasn't stolen and blaming ex-president Donald Trump for the loss has resigned his position with the state party. Jason Rowe confirmed Wednesday he had stepped down as executive director of the state GOP but declined to provide a specific reason for the decision. Jason Rowe confirmed Wednesday, um, I resigned my position as executive director, and the reasons will remain between me and Chairman Weiser, Rowe said in a statement to the Free Press, referring to Michigan GOP Party Chairman Ron Weiser. As GOP supporters of former President Trump launch attacks on GOP non-supporters, is it becoming difficult to tell which side of the divide to call rhinos? Hmm. I think so. I think so. There, there are some people who just want some relief from the, uh, the ugly tenor of politicians at the top. You know, and, and it's difficult. There are probably some rhinos who leave the party and don't uh, support the platform or criticize the party in ways that are that's detrimental to the party rather than just leave some things be. But those are the real rhinos, you know. And for people, uh, Henry, who don't know what a rhino is, it's Republican in name only. And, yeah. and it was originally coined to refer to um, moderate Republicans that occasionally voted with Democrats. Yeah. But now it, it, it seems to be rhinos are whoever doesn't agree with my take on it. Yeah. Well, bad. I think it's, it, it's, it's more people considered, uh, if you weren't for Trump, you uh, were a rhino, and I always felt uh, that if you were having this conversation, you know, President Trump, he campaigned, make America great again. Well, what? when was it great? If you're a Republican, you had to feel it was great under Eisenhower or Reagan. And then, and then somehow they turned Eisenhower and Reagan into rhinos. I mean, come on, that, yeah. doesn't, that doesn't work for me. So uh, no, that doesn't yeah. work for me either. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm going to go back to my. I still suspect you're going to see two parties in 2024. You'll see a Trump party and a Republican party. Uh, who's going to keep the Republican name? I don't know, but I, I have a hunch you'll see something of that nature evolving for 24. Because uh, I, and I'm not sure who's going to have the most support or most well, votes. Anyway, I, I, I agree with that, Paul. I think the question is. I, I think there will be. Oh, uh, a number of people who will be going after that Trump vote. The question is, will only one figure emerge to to take that 
you know, traditional Republican, if you will, uh, yeah. angle that's sort of an anti-Trump. If you you can't be explicitly, well, maybe you can. We got a long ways to go anti-Trump, but but if there are two or three people who are contesting for that space, that'll be hard. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and and we got to somehow. If you are, are too entrenched with one party or another, uh, what happens is that you're ignoring the will of the young people who are rising up behind you, who is resisting all of this stuff. Look what happened to same-sex marriages and uh, all of those things where that has become part of the law, and yet for years the Republicans have resisted that. Not for... not. For a bad reason, either, because it was part of their value and belief system. That's why they resisted it. But now things have come to pass, so we've lost those kind of things. And, and, and there are certain things that's going to happen, and we know that can be predicted. The young people are going to change within five to ten years. So uh, we need to look at politics realistically. Well, the, let me just say this. It's not only on the Republican side what we're talking about. It's on yeah, the Democratic side as well. And oh, right now, you know, you've got, it, it would seem that you've got the, the Democratic Party wants to jump off the cliff on uh, pr progressive uh, policy. Yeah. Yes. But look at what's just happened in New York City with Adams taking the mm -hmm. Democratic nominee. He says, we're not going to defund the police. Uh, and you know, a year ago, you would have thought that every Democrat was going to say there would be no police forces. But here you have somebody who's somebody who's won that nomination and presumably will win the race in the fall. And he has a very centrist, uh, in many ways, tr almost traditional approach, if you will. Uh, same thing down here. I'm in Mississippi, as you guys all know. And uh, I was there's a town that's near us, Moss Point. It's a it's a tough poor, black, pretty violent town. That's, uh, when I hear you guys talk about Flint, it's the same kind of dynamic. It's got a, a bad demographic in the sense of it's a declining numbers of people. So it's got a, the revenue stream is, is not positive. They, they, um, they had a mayor who was a young guy, uh, very activist, who was thumbing his nose at the, um, at the state uh, government, which is, which is as, you would imagine Republican. Well, Mario got uh, Mario King ended up in a minor corruption scandal and is convicted of a felony. On his third attempt, uh, a gentleman who's 82 was elected to be mayor, and it was mm -hmm. very interesting. I, I went to his um, I went to his um, speech, his inauguration speech. He'd been at, he'd taken office on July 1st, but on the 5th he had a big dinner and spoke. He mentioned a whole series of things that needed to be done locally, but did not say a single thing about democratic politics or national politics or equality or any of the buzzwords that are democratic buzzwords. He talked about we need to have safety, we need to have uh, recreation, and we need to have economic development. He put everything in terms of what could be done locally. I just think it's not, you know, while, while the politics on the Trump side and on the Democratic side are talking about these, these policy issues that are national and contentious, I'm not sure that that's going to carry the day over time, that there won't be more folks focus on substance, if you will. 
You know, and, and I remember, and, I, and all of us remember, that was a time when the Republican Party boasted. It had enough people underneath the umbrella to uh, respond to all needs of people with uh, different views. And uh, where the Democrats did not have that. They said, we have people that can uh, diverse by what they believe in, what their specializations are. And that was the party that, at that time, that was most respected. And somehow they were able to pull together the ends and all sides and uh, generate uh, a strategy that would win elections. And uh, we need to see that happen again. That needs to come back to the Republican Party where people feel comfortable here. And that, that's probably the same dynamic with Democrats. And it's the strong arms that's pulling and tugging, driving the Democrats. But the party, that makes parties unstable. And yeah, so, well, the, the final analysis, any governing party has got to deliver the goods. I mean, you can you can right. make speeches about your ideology all you want, but you've got to deliver the basic goods of government. That's right. I like the, uh, the excerpt from the uh, Goldwater speech. Um, he said he'd uh, modeled a, a very abbreviated version of the, the platform, and it was three planks. Vote Goldwater, vote Goldwater, and ditto. <laughs> <laughs> who was the, who, who was the uh, Paul or, or Mark or, or Henry, who was the conservative uh, pundit uh, that... Um, that started distancing himself uh, from the Republicans after uh, Trump's campaign got rolling. Will uh, George? George Will Chris, was certainly one. Yeah, George, Chris, George yeah. Wellbeck, Bill Crystal. I mean, uh, you know, Crystal but was. But I was thinking of George of, Will because there was a, a uh, something I read in in something that he had written where he said um, the largest political party in the U.S. were the undecideds. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny thing was, I think the National Review came out with a big cover, anti-Trump cover story during the 2016 campaign, or, or maybe slightly before then. Uh, and, you know, major conservative voice, and they, they came out anti-Trump early on. Now they've changed since then, generally. It's been a little more supportive, but they, they, I, think, I recall a very anti-Trump cover they, they had on their magazine somewhere in the two, around the 2016 election time. I have you noticed that the Republicans do not uh, uh, foster name calling as much anymore, and uh, but Democrats uh, continue to pick that up. And I don't know where they think that they're going with that because there's some defeatism in in uh, that kind of behavior in a political, you know, profile. Yeah, I I. I was feeling kind of optimistic there for a little while, Henry, because uh, the rhetoric was taming a bit. But I, I just have a feeling as uh, Trump rallies start to, to grow in frequency and attendance that we might see it return. I don't know. We'll see. But we he won't be guiding it. We have we, I, I think that there is something that he's learned there about. He's not guiding. There may be other people that do that, but Trump is not guiding that anymore. 
Well, we got we got to take a short break there. I was hoping I'd get through it without cutting Henry okay. off, but <laughs> we'll be back. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program featuring uh, Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, and joining us today, Mark Everson. Uh, welcome back, everybody. I, I really thought I had, I only had two more breaks left. I thought I was going to make it through a whole show without cutting Henry off. <laughs> but thank you. I just, I just need one minute just to finish talking about what I was talking about, Trump. Uh, about how he's changed his behavior. And, and, and people, either you love Trump or you hate him, one or the other. And he tells you what he's thinking, what's on his mind. And some people like to have that open dialogue with him. And he talks directly to the people. Whether he's talking to a foreign enemy or whether he's talking to a, a woman in the audience, he, he points his finger to, for emphasis and so on and so forth. Well, some people don't mind that. Uh, they like strong, apparent leadership from their leaders. And now President Biden has been able to look at the Russians in the eye and point his finger. And uh, so that's something that provides an emphasis. Of course, he's generally low-key, but the, he's not above calling your name or anybody else. Uh, which established his position as president. And I think uh, we need to take a look at these changes and dynamics for presidents here. You know, one of the strangest things that I've noticed is that I, can, I cannot recall any other election ever where six, eight months or more after the election, people still had flags or, or yard signs in their yards for the losing candidate. I mean, I, I can still drive around parts of Genesee County here, and I... Periodically, we'll see Trump flag signs in the yards or on a few businesses around the area. Uh, you know, as I say, oh, half a year and more after the election. Uh, I cannot recall any other election where that, that was true. Uh, well, there was uh, the fact that uh, the South Sea Rise Again was here for 100 years. <laughs> Maybe that's another <laughs> and story. And the flag, you know. We, we, Maybe that's you another know. story, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, but you're right, because I got them, and they're still out in my area. Yeah, yeah so I, I say, I, you drive around here. I, I, not a lot, but, I mean, there's, there's a number. They've been yeah. there for the last, the last eight months. Well, don't, don't state election uh, rules require that yard signs be down 30 days after the election? I think they're supposed to be, yeah. Now, yeah. I don't know how in they, how they areas, compare to... Uh, yeah, township ordinances. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, how they do that, have them. I don't know how that relates to flags. I have a neighbor down the street who has, you know, a big Trump flag uh, flying all the yeah. time, and I and I don't think that that falls under that. Yeah, exactly. Under those I'll, rules. when I go up Dort Highway toward Frankenmuth, there's a couple of businesses that have got flags. You're passing my house. in front of their business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're passing my house. <laughs> okay. Well, this is this is a story that that really got my attention, um, and and because it has kind of a weird twist to it, as the coronavirus uh, mounts a fresh U.S. assault, it is again tearing at the nation's political divides in a way that multiplies its own impact, and makes co- clear in a supposed summer of freedom that the battle against the virus is far from over. 
President Joe Biden is locked in a showdown with Facebook over vaccine misinformation. His predecessor, Donald Trump, is now weighing in, linking his big lie over election fraud to Biden's management of the COVID-19 crisis in a way that could brew even more of the vaccine hesitancy that is causing thousands of Americans to become infected. Conservative pundits, would-be presidential candidates, and Trump protégés have already exploited skepticism in vaccines for political gain and new fears that a return to masks and physical distancing might be necessary in COVID hot zones, where many people have refused vaccines, are reigniting partisan fault lines. The rising political discord threatens not only to tarnish and reverse Biden's early success in rolling out vaccines and tamping down the virus only two weeks after the president declared partial independence from COVID-19. It could present the White House with severe challenges in the event of a full-scale next wave of infections and deaths in the coming weeks, even if many of the people getting sick are anti-vaccine Republicans who are not his voters anyway. Any reimposed restrictions and business closures could interrupt the economic recovery that the president is relying on to boost Democrats in next year's midterm elections. The Dow was down more than 700 points Monday morning over virus concerns. Now, I didn't write that piece. I never would have written that that piece that way. But it does raise a question that I've been seeing emerge. Is the virus and subsequent variants expressing a preference for non-vaccinated versus vaccinated hosts? Oh, I, I, that's that's what I've been. Yeah, I think so. At least that new variant it seems to be hitting the non-vaccinated much more. But I think as, as a political issue, I think one thing I worry about really is in the fall when the kids get back in school, uh, particularly those under 12 who, who aren't getting vaccine, vaccines. Are we going to see some kind of a an odd resurgence of of, of the virus in the schools uh, in the fall? That's, that's I'm, one of I'm, major worry. I, I'm very wor- very worried about that, Paul. Um, I'm, as said before, down in Mississippi, we have the lowest vaccination rate in the country, t- pretty much tied with Alabama. And that's because we have the highest black population, and the blacks are fearful of getting the, uh, getting the vaccination. And we have a very high Trump population, and the Trump people are defiant about not getting the vaccination. So you add those two populations... <laughs> it's, a very, it's, a, it's a pretty low rate. And in my town, in our school district, we have 19 schools, the past school, the Gauche School District. And they did a lovely job. They had in-school teaching all last year, the entire year. There was a virtual option, but not a single one of the 19 schools closed during that period. Now, that was a little bit luck because a couple of schools came very close. They followed certain protocols, and if a certain percentage of the kids had been tested positive, then they would have gone out, and my son's school actually was very close. But my worry is exactly what you're after, what you've gotten to, which is that now people people have sort of taken the attitude, well, that's over, and and if the kids are going back and everybody's out there uh, without the masks and everything else, which is if you've gotten vaccinated, you shouldn't be wearing the mask. But there's this basic confusion about 
everybody's acting as though they've been vaccinated and as the threat is over. I think there's a real possibility that you could have actually a greater transmission within the schools coming up than you than you did last year and that we'll start to see uh, more closings and uh, things careening out of control. Los Angeles just went back to a sort of a lockdown and the different parts of the country things are retrenching they're not going forward. Are yeah, Los st- Angeles is, re- is just requiring masks again. Are, right. Mark, are you yeah. seeing in in Mississippi are the numbers of of uh, positive cases going up are, are they going yep, up they've been creeping they've been creeping up and uh, creeping is probably too conservative a word they've been increasing fairly rapidly they they've gone down quite a bit but uh and the problem i have and this goes back to the where we started today talking about fauci and everything else okay you say here are the issues but then you say okay so keep wearing masks or do this or do that i mean i'm, I'm going to be on a plane tomorrow where people are wearing masks but I, I, it's very confusing to people. Uh, if you've been vaccinated, you're supposed to be able to go back to life as normal. Otherwise, if, you, if that's not the case, then why bother getting vaccinated? Many people will tell you. That's the issue it, it, to me. To, um, it's very confusing to someone about what they're supposed to do. But if we, but if we brush away the, the political affiliations... Is it as simple as people who've been vaccinated don't get sick and people who haven't are getting sick? And at some point, will that encourage people to get vaccinated and, and get us to a, a true herd immunity? I think we will get there. I, I, that's right. I just think it will take a long time for people to make that pivot that you're talking about, Tom. And, and, and I do, but I've been reading pieces that say more Republican office holders are saying, hey, go out there and get vaccinated. People, some that were less likely to make that uh, reference uh, as two weeks or six weeks yeah. ago, they're starting to come around and say, hey, go out and get vaccinated. Because that, that is it. And what you're, you're saying is quick down here, uh, the, the chief medical officer of the state made the statement in the last 24 hours, yeah. The people are getting sick and hospitalized, and we have very few ICU beds now in the state. They are from the Delta variant, and and they're ones who haven't been vaccinated. Well, it's just, you know, I I was reading the piece, and and I've seen a lot of uh, media that seemed very skewed, seemed very quick to say, you know, Republicans are not vaccinated. Democrats are vaccinated. The people who aren't vaccinated are getting sick. But if we could just get the labels out of it and just talk about who gets sick, who doesn't get sick, and use that as the basis for our decisions, you know, maybe maybe we can get this to the point where more people realize Hey, you know, why not play it safe? Why not just get vaccinated and move on? Well, I think, as, as Mark said, I, I, I've seen some Republicans, I think, uh, I oh, I have too. came out with a statement this morning about getting vaccinated. And I think Fox News has gradually said a number of things a little more in favor of getting vaccinated than they had in the past. So it looks like in the last week or so that even the, the more uh, anti-vaccine Republicans have kind of begun to come around in, in ways they hadn't before. So... Maybe that'll make a difference, too. Um, I think yeah, Mitch McConnell. 
Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I was just a presentation this morning. I heard, or I heard the the quote this morning in the news. I just was just going to say that what what's happened here, unfortunately, is the the science. Everybody's trying to say we need to eliminate all significant risk. There's always some risk. It's sad, but people get vaccinated. Kids get vaccinated. You got to take certain vaccines to get start the seventh grade down here. But there's always a small risk, and uh, you can't eliminate risk in life. And until the medical people explain that and people are comfortable with that, people uh, people hear a story about somebody who got sick from the vaccine or suddenly had rashes, and they said, well, I'm not going to get it, but they're ignoring there's more risk on the other side. Uh, exactly. That's where we seem to be. That's where we seem to be. We can't, we can't seem to accept reasonable risk. That's, and that's a part of this discussion. It's got to be. But, you know, uh, I think that some people look at it uh, the way Darwin looks at it. You know, uh, and we have to be a culture of people that share each other's ills. That builds the immune system. Well, I remember so, when they first started talking about herd immunity, Henry, um, the number was fixed at 70%, that that was considered right. herd immunity. Right. And I was thinking at the time, I was a little troubled by the fact that 30% at risk was still too high. And I, I caught uh, Anthony Fauci in a couple of briefings trying somewhat on his own to sort of inch that herd immunity up to 80%, but he never got anywhere with it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's move on. This, this was uh, an interesting story, and, and there are several related, but I just happened to grab this one. Twitter on Monday evening temporarily suspended Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene after she shared misinformation about COVID-19 and vaccines, a company spokesperson told CNN. The Georgia Republican, who has a track record for incendiary rhetoric, will not be able to tweet for 12 hours due to Twitter's policy against people who repeatedly share misinformation. The social media platform had labeled two tweets from Green as, quote, misleading in recent days. If she continues to share misinformation about COVID-19 through her Twitter account, Green could be suspended from the platform permanently. The temporary suspension comes as the White House has struck a confrontational posture with social media platforms over the prevalence of misleading claims about coronavirus vaccines as cases tick up nationwide. What, if any, are the uh, First Amendment implications of actions like this? Or is this the social media equivalent of shouting fire in a crowded theater? Hmm. Well, the problem I have with this is that by whose authority? There must be authority. You've got to have a source of authority to shut someone out of the Internet. And that's generally done by governments, people. But the First well, Amendment I mean, the prevents government. The First Amendment only applies to governmental action. These are private corporations, so I mean. Yeah, but and still, yeah. the government supersedes everything else. Well, let me let me throw one out. here's here's one parallel I've often wondered about in terms of all this thing with social media. In what way it is the same as the phone company? If if I were to call somebody up on the phone and tell them crazy stuff, 
Could the phone company block me from doing that? I don't know that they could. I mean, but they're a private corporation, um, or yeah. that they would. But yet, in in what way is is Facebook and Twitter and all the rest are they like the phone company, and or, or in what way are they like a publishing house that you know publishes stuff and takes credit for it in some way? Uh, I, I have often have that dilemma. You have to look at free speech. Government is the source of the authority to issue and protect free speech, not private enterprise. It's, the, it's derived from the people. Uh, a, a telephone company can shut you off because it impacts their ability to do business with their clients. They have to look at that. Yeah, I, I, I've never been aware of a phone company blocking free anybody free. in terms of content that I'm aware yeah. of. Unless that, that. unless that content was threatening in nature, and that is yes. illegal. Uh, maybe so, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. That's what I'm driving But that's different but than calling somebody up on the phone and yeah. lying to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which <it> happens <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get solicitors all the time that call me up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's, uh, let's see, I, yeah, we've got time for at least one more. Um, a key U.S. senator is launching an investigation into the connection between cryptocurrencies and ransomware attacks in the wake of several recent high-profile attacks. Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Chairman Gary Peters announced Tuesday on CNN's New Day that the bipartisan investigation will seek to better understand how cryptocurrency emboldens cyber criminals and to identify possible policy changes. The probe is part of a series of steps the Michigan Democrat and other lawmakers have taken to address a spate of uh, cybersecurity incidents, including soon-to-be-released legislation related to recent ransomware attacks, he said, a key U.S. senator. Um, can policy and regulations manage runaway tech crime, and when did Gary Peters become considered a key senator? <laughs> that one kind of snuck uh, up on me, you know. I, yeah, yeah. I, well, with all that's going on, uh, the environment at the table, there's opportunity. When you leave a void there, somebody will fill it. Or some thought will fill it. And Gary Peters, why not? I, I've often wondered, in terms of the whole, you know, cyber cyber uh, threats that we've seen. And again, I don't know enough about computer technology to to be accurate here. But I, I often wonder whether or not, when somebody is 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 trying to pay ransom, if you couldn't attach some kind of a bug to to the cyber currency that would shut their computers down, almost as a a, a countermeasure. Uh, I mean, I don't know if that's technically possible or anything more than that, but I've often wondered whether there was some kind of retaliation on the computer that you could use to shut down those folks who were doing that kind of uh, cyber hacking. I, you know, Paul, it's it's interesting you say that. I think there is. The, the problem is that the information they hold is so valuable to the people looking yeah. for it, they're afraid that it will somehow get destroyed. Yeah, by the yeah, perpetrators, it's it's the same old kidnap scenario. Right. You don't yeah. you don't want to challenge the kidnappers for fear they'll kill the person who's being kidnapped. Right. And that's true. Well, 
Go ahead. I, I do think I do think here. If you go back to nine eleven, and you look at at what the Bush doctrine said was, we're if you've been harboring the terrorists, yeah, and you're a nation state, we're going to come after you, and that's the long and the short of, of of the approach that we then took. We said we don't care. Uh, we we're not going to differentiate you as a nation from bad actors that are within within your borders and that you're sort of looking the other way on, if you will. I think that we're getting there uh, if, on, the, on the cyber stuff. And, uh, you know, it's been a bit of a dance with Putin and everything else, but this stuff well, is pretty serious. Well, and now China's a player in the game. Right, exactly. This stuff is pretty serious. And, and uh, I'm sure we have some very significant capabilities and we're going to um, act against um, the entities, non-governmental entities that are doing this terrorism, if you will. But I wouldn't be surprised if we start to act more robustly against some of the states in certain ways. It's just, it's almost inevitable if you see just how, uh, how much of an increase we've had in this activity and how damaging it is. President Biden came very close to threatening Putin in their meeting recently. Right. Exactly. He was quite explicit. Yes, he was. Well, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how that that continues to uh, unfold because it's, it's not going away anytime soon. Hey, we got about two minutes till we go to the break in case anybody wants to talk about billionaires in space. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I love <laughs> that. Guess I, that. Want to I think it's important. Uh, yeah, which is, and you know, go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. No, I'm just, I think it's, it, we're watching this discussion of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and it's all been um, bollocked up with the taxes. It's We're at a very delicate point right now of our, are we going to get something done with both sides of the aisle participating, or are the Democrats going to try and go it alone? And it's fascinating to me that it's all come down to tax. You guys know my old shop, the IRS. Everything looked like they were going to get the Biden administration was going to get more money for the IRS, and get, and uh, it was all going to be uh, there was going to be an enforcement buildup. But then you had this leak with the ProPublica. And it's done just. It shows the unintended consequences in, in in public policy and in Washington and politics, because every they leaked all this information showing that Bezos and all these folks didn't pay any tax or didn't pay enough tax. Yeah. And now the fact of the leak itself has caused everybody to say, "Oh, parallel to lowest learners, the IRS is out of control." So now this is undone. What looked to be a pretty. Uh, a significant bipartisan measure. So uh, we're sort of back to square one. It's quite fascinating for me to watch this. Well, on that note, I've got to squeeze in one more break, and then we'll uh, we'll go to uh, one of my favorite segments, the uh, the X Files, and there are a couple of unusual ones, as there usually are. But we're going to take a short break. Let our broadcast partners at WFOV ninety two point one LPFM, our voices radio WFOV in Flint, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, uh, we have some messages as well. And if you miss anything on the Tom Sumner program, you can always check out the archives 
at TomSumnerProgram.com and uh, look up uh, interviews you may have missed or conversations that you may have missed. We'll be right back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back uh, to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program and the segment that we call The X-Files. An 18-year-old has been charged with computer crimes after police say he hacked into a database and put a quote from Adolf Hitler into a Connecticut high school yearbook. The teen was a student at Glastonbury High School where the quote appeared in May beneath the photo of an unsuspecting classmate, police said. It read, it is, a, a, it is a quite special secret pleasure how the people around us fail to realize what is really happening to them. The, the, co- the quote was attributed in the yearbook to George Floyd, the black man killed by a Minneapolis police officer last year. Police said the same student also was responsible for another unauthorized yearbook entry which referenced one of the Boston marathon bombers and drug use, the teen who was previously barred from attending his graduation ceremony faces two counts of third-degree computer crime and is due in court on August 6th. The quotes were discovered in May after school began distributing the yearbooks. The school recalled the yearbooks to remove the offending quotes. We deeply regret not having caught the act of bigotry and vandalism before the yearbook was printed, school administrators said in a statement when the yearbooks were recalled. We are examining and will revise our yearbook procedures for collecting and reviewing future student submissions. Whatever happened to sign-offs like see you in September? (laughs) Apparently Apparently it's been signed off. I don't know. Uh, uh, Tom, the the music is a little bit too, and I couldn't hear everything. Okay, all right, thanks. I apologize for that. No problem. The music was a little loud for me. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Henry. Well, when we were in the eighth grade uh, in PS number eight in Yonkers, New York, it was 1968, and on the... um, cover of the yearbook it was a very modest little yearbook they had a seal of the united states or something and it was doctored to have a peace sign in the, <laughs> in the, in the presidential <laughs> seal. and uh they, they took a dim view of this when it was discovered at the, by the administration if you will and they 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 recalled all the all the yearbooks if i if i remember this right and blacked out all the just blacked out the seal period <laughs> Yeah, I, I think stu- student editors always kind of like to thumb their nose at administrators when they can get away with it. 
I can yeah. remember a few similar stunts too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a little surprised they prosecuted this if this person is uh, was just a student. But I, I understand, yeah. that, you know, it's just. But it, but it's I it, it, I don't know where you draw the line between a prank and a. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's not. It's obviously not appropriate. But I was just thinking of a friend of mine that got kicked out of school in high school. This was in the seventies, probably, and uh, he was working the audio for a basketball game, and he played uh, Jimi Hendrix's version of the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, the, but schools have have their own rules for. Uh, uh, for prosecuting those kind of things that uh, has primacy if it's not right. a criminal activity. Right. That's the distinction, isn't it? I mean, it's like, well, look, the Supreme Court just had the case, this complicated case, or, or not complicated, but this case of the cheerleader who... Uh, That's who right. Was, uh, That's right. Doing things. Yeah. So, you know, the question is, does the school deal with things? I'm a, I'm a little troubled when you get into... Uh, criminal justice system on things that are school matters. That's all. That's the, yeah. that's the question I'm posing. And as I say, I think students have always enjoyed thumbing their nose at, at rules. The more rules you pass, the more those you enjoy thumbing their nose at them in some way or another. But yeah. once someone is caught doing it, it corrects the problem right away because other students don't want to go through that process. Well, here's another weird one. The artificial intelligence robot developed by Carnegie Mellon University professor Deepak Pathak can adapt in real time and teach itself how to maneuver through rocks, sand, grass, and oil-covered surfaces. Looking something like the bare bones of a small animal, the robot learns to react to new situations the same way people do. Most robots aren't able to adjust to changing conditions so quickly, but Rapid Motor Adaptation, or RMA, seeks to change that. The technology is the first learning-based system that doesn't rely on hard-coded motions. The RMA adapts robot joints in real life to auto-adjust to changing situations. It is a step toward building AI systems that can do the same. The research team says the robot will eventually be used for search and rescue efforts and space exploration. Is this proof that you can't teach an old robot new tricks? <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting that these robots have their five senses. They can hear, they can uh, uh, they can speak, uh, they can they can see. Uh, they can touch and all of that stuff. That that's amazing. That well, and, and there, I think there are those theories that I mean, I'm sure it's, it may be science fiction to suggest that these robots may be outthinking us in the not terribly distant <laughs> future. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of interesting and spooky. Yeah. Well, a commercial lobster diver says he escaped relatively unscathed after nearly being swallowed by a humpback whale in a biblical-sounding encounter that whale experts describe as rare but plausible. Michael Packard, 56, said in a local interviews and on social media that he was diving off the coast of Provincetown, Massachusetts on Friday morning 
when the whale suddenly scooped him up. I was in his closed mouth for about 30 to 40 seconds before he rose to the surface and spit me out. Packard later wrote on Facebook, I am very bruised up but have no broken bones. The Cape Cod Times reports that Packard was pulled out of the water by his crewman and uh, rushed back to shore where he was transported to Cape Cod Hospital. He walked, albeit with a limp, out of the hospital that afternoon while he's still recovering from soft tissue damage. Packard told the newspaper he'll be back in the water as soon as he heals. As Packard heads back out to sea, do you think his friends will start calling him Captain Ahab? (laughs) Probably, yeah. They should, anyway. I read about this one, Tom, and, uh, you know, my question was, what do you think the whale said that night when he got home? I mean, he said, geez, honey, you won't believe, you know, what what I ate today. (laughs) My my goodness. There are two sides to this story. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Well, that wraps it up, actually, for today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, and the Tom Sumner Program, for that matter. But we have about, oh, a minute and a half left if anybody wants to squeeze anything in very quickly before we sign off. I'm just going to say, if, if there's anybody who needs to get vaccinated, get out there and do it. We want to avoid another mm-hmm. another spike in the fall. That's that's a, one passing thought I've had lately. It looked like we were almost done with all this stuff, and all of a sudden now it's starting to creep back up. I, I just say go to a different subject. I, I saw the Bucks pull this out last night, win this. It was very inspiring to see a very uh, nice guy uh, like uh, Giannis. Uh, win this and carry uh, Milwaukee, uh, you know, a minor market, a smaller market that hadn't won in 50 years. It's sort of a nice story, I would think, I would wanted to say. Ah, nice. Nice note to end yeah. on, too. Go, go ahead, Henry. You know, and, and today I want to thank Mark Everson and, and, and again, Mayor Stanley, or not Stanley, but uh, our current Mayor Neely, uh, for expressing sentiments of uh, trying to get uh, politicians to work together to answer the needs of the public. Mark, I, I thank you so much. I think that you adjust to people of different parties, religion, and, and uh, genders, and so on and so forth. You're the kind of person that we need to bring the country together. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. You're maybe the only one saying that, though. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Well, Mark Everson, thanks. It's always a treat when you can join us. And I want to say thanks as well to um, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki, always uh, always an important part of the show to have you along, as well as uh, Henry Hatter. Thanks, guys. You're Thank you. welcome. Thank you. Have a good day. Good to Bye-bye. be here. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. No. Good night. <laughs> And that's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow with more candidates for Flint City Council on the Tom Sumner program. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.